Well, hello, friends. My name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge, and I want to welcome you into this uh, online space as we begin our teaching and application time together. And we're going to focus again our discussion on the topic of forgiveness. So in 1948, an institutionalized program of racial segregation was started by the government of South Africa, and it came to be known as apartheid. And it was predicated on the notion that white citizens had the highest statue in the pyramid. And a young man was born into the Thembu royal family in Mvezo, South Africa. He studied law at two prestigious universities before working as a lawyer in Johannesburg. And his passion for justice led him to increasingly defy the laws of apartheid and the ruling party. And in 1961, he and others led a sabotage campaign against the government, and he was arrested and imprisoned in 1962, and subsequently sentenced to life in prison for conspiring to overthrow the states. He spent over 27 years in prison, and so in the mid-1990s, when he walked out of the door, you might expect this man to be embittered and filled with hatred and further entrenched in the divisions of class or race. But on that day, when he walked out of that prison, Nelson Mandela was anything but bitter. He once famously said, as I walked out the door toward that gate that would lead me to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and my hatred behind, I would still be in prison. See, we've been looking into the New Testament book uh, of Philemon in this short series here at Jericho Ridge. Uh, our series is entitled Clean Break. And we've been looking at the topic of relationships, particularly how forgiveness works in our lives and in our relationships. And particularly today, how forgiveness and works together with community in a place like the church. So just to recap. Philemon, along with his wife Aphia, are the leaders of a house church in the first century in the city of Colossae. And Philemon had a problem, and that was that one of his servants, by the name of Onesimus, had run away and had defrauded him, wronged him in some way. We don't know exactly all of the details of that. But now the servant is coming home, and Philemon is put in this very awkward and very challenging place of determining how and if he should offer forgiveness to the person who wronged him. So the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early Christian movement in the first century, writes a letter to Philemon and makes an appeal and says, Philemon, I want you to receive back your slave, your former slave named Onesimus. But we're going to see today how hard Paul's ask really is, because just like the story of Nelson Mandela, it's predicated on some very shockingly radical upside-down propositions. In Mandela's case, the shocking and radical truth was that a person who was discriminated against and imprisoned for almost three decades could actually walk away from anger, bitterness, and hatred. And because of his work at reconciliation, he could liberate not only himself from his criminal past and the chains of bitterness, but actually work and become the president of the country. And in the case of Philemon, 
The shockingly radical ask is that a disobedient slave be welcomed back into the home and be treated as an equal and have his transgressions wiped clean. Let's look together at why Paul thinks that this is a good idea. Because if I'm Philemon, my former slave who has defrauded me comes up the driveway with a letter in hand, my first thought is not, welcome home, where have you been? And then I read this letter, and my questions to Paul would be, why are you sending Onesimus back to me? And why should I actually respond to these requests? So I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. We'll be starting in verse 10. Paul says this, I appeal to you, Philemon, to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith, his spiritual father, while here in prison. Onesimus, whose name actually means useful, so Paul makes a play on words. He hasn't been useful to you in the past, Philemon, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in prison uh, with these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But, Paul says, I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems that Onesimus, you lost him for a little while so that you could have him back forever, for eternity. He's no longer a slave to you, Paul says. He's more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So consider me, Paul, your partner. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Radical ask. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention to you, Philemon, that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. Oh, one more thing, Paul says, would you please prepare a guest room for me? I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. And then he offers some final greetings. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So to Mark, Aristocrus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here's Paul's basic argument. Yes, Onesimus once was not very useful to you, but now he has come into the family of God. Now that he's experienced the same grace that Paul had experienced, now the same grace that Philemon has experienced, a radical transformation has taken place. And that transformation didn't just impact Philemon or Onesimus in their heart or in their spiritual life. Paul is saying, in essence, that now that Onesimus is a Christian, now that all three of them, Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon, share the same father in heaven, they have become new family. They are all brothers in Christ. And so Paul says, it's actually not possible for you, Philemon, to regard Onesimus as a slave. 
to treat him as property and beat him within an inch of his life, Monday to Saturday, and then turn around and invite him to worship together in church with your family on Sundays. See, and this is one of the reasons why we understand that from history, Christianity was treated with so much suspicion in the first century because it upset the delicate social balance because of the radical claims that there were certain truths that were evident in the way that God had worked in the world, that all men and women were created equal in the eyes of God, and therefore they ought to be treated as such by their fellow human beings. See, sometimes in the 21st century, we fall into the trap of thinking about Christianity as strictly a spiritual or interior thing. Oh, you pray, you do spiritual stuff, you get Jesus in your heart, go to heaven when you die. But for the Bible and the early church and for Paul, saving faith was certainly a personal thing, but it was not a private thing. See, when our relationship with God experiences reconciliation, it actually invites us to reevaluate our human relationships through a new lens, a lens of love. The Christian message is one of reconciliation. And we understand and we come to understand that because God has poured out God's love on all and into our hearts, that shifts the way that we look at other people. In other words, our Christological realities begin to reshape and redefine our sociological realities. See, if you say, I'm a Christian, one of the things that that means is not just, oh, some of your attitudes or some things in your heart have changed. It actually shifts the way in which community is lived out and practiced. Different values begin to come to the forefront in your life. Values of justice, values of equality, and love, they begin to take root in your life in ways that are not just changing you, but they impact actually the way in which you treat others. And in groups of people, like a church or a society, it actually begins to impact and reshape the very foundations of culture. And that's why such powerful movements throughout history that have reshaped and transformed whole cultures for good find their roots in biblical teaching. Think about things like in the 19th century, the women's suffrage movement, which gave women the right to vote on the basis that they were equal. Or the abolitionist movement that sought to outlaw slavery on the basis that these people were loved by God. Or in the 20th century, many of the movements towards human rights, I think, for example, about the engagements that Jericho Ridge has with Under the Same Sun in East Africa and the work in Tanzania, saying that just because someone has albinism does not mean that they are a lesser person, that they are equal before God and before others in culture. Or Nelson Mandela's radical belief in the equality of people, that people who are black or people who are white were all invited to participate in their culture. And this is something that he found true in the Bible, and it's espoused particularly in places like the book of Philemon. And I think that that's probably one of the reasons why this letter is included in the New Testament. It's a very personal letter 
from Paul to Philemon, but it's also a very specific and concrete example of what it means to follow Jesus. It's not just that something in our spiritual lives has changed. We actually begin to treat other people differently. Think about, for example, the social pyramid in the ancient world. Slaves are at the very, very bottom of this. And Paul is writing this letter and saying to Philemon, hey, maybe they are in uh, the bottom, in the eyes of the world or in the eyes of the economy. But in God's eyes, Philemon, you need to understand that, that Onesimus and every person has the same value or worth as every artisan, noble, government, king, or emperor. And so Paul says to Philemon, I want you to welcome back Onesimus and treat him as if he were a valuable brother in Christ, not a slave. How radical is that invitation that Paul makes here? But lest we think that this is just some dusty, distant book, let's get practical for a minute. Think about the social pyramid in our world today. We all live within one. It might be defined by economics, might be defined by position or accomplishment or what family you were born into. Uh, the high school one is pretty clear. It's defined by who's cool, who's pretty cool, or who's a loser. And so Paul is writing here, not just to Philemon, but to you and I and saying, hey, if you somehow think that you're at the top or the middle of this pyramid, I need you to treat everyone around you, especially those at the bottom, as if they are your equal. Paul says to Onesimus, hey, you once were a slave, but now I see you, Onesimus, as a brother in Christ. And Philemon, I need you to treat Onesimus that way. Paul says to Philemon, you formerly saw yourself as a master, an owner of this person, but I am asking you to behave as if he is your brother and to treat him with love and respect. Well, why in the world would Philemon even agree to something so radical? Paul reminds him and says, Philemon, in Christian community, one of the principles is that those with power give it up and lay it down in order to serve those who are quote-unquote weaker. See, think here for a minute of Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, think about Jesus, the very privileges of heaven, who, thought, who was equal with God, who was God, gave up that. He descended. He lowered himself. And for what purpose? It was for you and for me. He gave up his rights and his freedoms so that you and I could know and experience the radical love of God. And Paul has already asked Philemon to welcome Onesimus as an equal partner. And now he adds another layer to that and he says, I need you also to erase and forget any outstanding debts. If Onesimus hurt you, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. I will pay it. And can you see again what Paul is doing here? His appeal to Philemon is to act in congruence with how Christ treats you and I. See, Christ can say, ah, oh, yeah, there is a debt against Brad. 
Brad has wronged others and his account is in arrears. It's in a negative balance. And Christ comes along and says, you know what? Charge that to my account. I will absorb his debt. Whatever is on his account, I will pay it. And friends, that's just one of the images that's used in the New Testament to picture the way God's grace comes to our lives. And that is what makes the good news such amazing good news. That's why we can declare with the scriptures, there is now no longer any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because their debts have been canceled and paid. Paul says in another place, if there's any debt that you're going to owe or keep outstanding, there's only one debt that that should be, and that is the debt to love one another. Doing this in community, friends, is hard, hard work. Canadian author Karen Stiller says this, we are all messy and miraculous, and church actually forces us and scrapes us up against each other. It skins our knees, it wounds us, and then heals. We're supposed to love each other all the time, and I don't think it ever stops being hard because we are people with ragged edges. We are frayed. But because we're in community with each other, pointed in the same general direction toward God, gathering, worshiping, praying, we actually have to practice forgiveness, and that helps each other grow. Stiller writes, I confess, it would be better for me personally if growing in love and grace occurred while curled up in an armchair with a cup of tea and a jelly donut reading a book, but that is rare. We often, more often, go through failure and mishap, through shattered windows and things we should not have said. We stumble upon new levels of love because we have messed things up or been mucked up by someone else, someone who acted wrongly or annoyingly. But we grow because we get to practice living together in community. And that's what makes church friends, even when we are scattered and even when it is hard, so radically transforming. It's God's gift of community to us because even when we're scattered, Jericho, we are a light on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. And so the absolute kicker of the book of Philemon is that we actually don't know if Philemon ever welcomed back Onesimus into his home. The story remains for us to live out, just like our study of the Gospel of Mark. But one thing we do know for certain, and that is that God, who is full of mercy and compassion, will welcome you and me with loving and open arms when we respond to God's offer of forgiveness and the cancellation of our debts. So we're going to move together to responding uh, in a time of communion. If you need to pause the live stream now and go and get the elements, I invite you to do so. If you need to pause for a minute and just ask, God, is there anyone in my life that I need to practice radical forgiveness toward? then just take a few minutes and reflect and respond to God's gentle nudging in that way. Maybe you're new to this whole idea, and maybe you're wondering, could this actually be true? Could God actually love and forgive me despite all of the things that I have done in my life? 
Friends, if that's your question, I want you to raise your hand in the chat or email us at prayer at jerichoridge.com. We would love to start a conversation with you about what it means to experience not only the radical love of God, but the radical love that can be found in community. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.